us hear God's word. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, <clears throat> not given to much wine, teachers of good things. That they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded, in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility. Sound speech that cannot be condemned, <clears throat> that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Exhort bond servants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. <clears throat> may God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Amen. <clears throat> well, as we have seen over the last few weeks, including last week, uh, Paul here is moving through the different age groups and genders. He moves from the older men to the older women to the younger women, and as we saw last time, to the younger men. And simply, <clears throat> he indicates to us that the more godly we are, the more effective we are going to be as witnesses. This includes us as individuals, but as uh, a home, as a family as well. Our homes are one of the best messages in regard to God's word. Uh, now, obviously, we have to use words to proclaim the truth of God. But our home lives speak volumes very loudly, either for or against God and his word. And so Paul has given us several things for each of these age groups and genders. Uh, simply each one must obey God in their unique place in life. What is unusual, as we saw last time, <clears throat> is how Paul only gives one attribute for young men. Possibly because there were only a few there in the churches in uh, Crete at the time, but more likely it is because many aspects of slightly older men uh, who became elders apply to younger men also. And so therefore, we briefly reviewed the attributes in verses 6 to 9 in chapter 1. And so the young men in their 20s basically is this uh, time frame here that he is indicating. Um, they should strive to be like elders. And as they do that, someday they likely will. And so the key term used yet again here is sober-minded. He began with that term in chapter 1, verse 8, with elders, used it for older men, older women, younger women, and here now with the younger men. Now, it is also likely the case, at least in part, that the other reason why Paul does not say as much about younger men is because Paul now is giving Titus a word of exhortation as well. And so, uh, and in a certain sense, verse 6 is swallowed up in verses 7 and 8. And Alma skips over the young men to some degree, and he spends more time on Titus. So as we look at some of the things he says to Titus, there are some points of application with the younger men. 
All right, so he says in verse 6, right, Titus is the assumed subject here, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. And then he continues now, verse 7, in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works and doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility. All right, now first of all, we have this opening phrase, in all things. Now, some people say we should include this at the end of verse 6. Makes sense in many ways. Uh, Young men should be sober-minded in all things. That is certainly true. And the fact that he only gives one attribute suggests maybe that's what he has in mind. And so applying this one attribute very broadly would make sense, right? And so be sober-minded in all things. But others, like the New King James, sets it off here. There's a comma after sober-minded, and then verse 7 begins. And so in all things, then, would fit with what he says to Titus. And so Titus must be a good example in all things. Now, both are certainly true. And in one sense, it doesn't matter where we put the phrase, but it does seem like Paul is emphasizing the words here for Titus. And so, in all things, Titus, be a good example. Not just in the things that you teach, but also in your living. Okay? And so, while Titus is exhorting the young men to be sober-minded, he must present himself an example of good works. And so, the point here is pretty straightforward, isn't it? When you are a leader, here, obviously, Titus is a leader in the church, And we can apply that here now with with our elders, with our deacons, Sunday school teachers, a variety of ways that people can be a leader in the church. We should do the same thing. When we are teaching other people, we need to make sure that we are living a life of godliness and be a good example. But certainly we can apply this in other ways, too. We can be leaders in our homes as parents. We can be a leader at work. Maybe not the boss, but we can be a leader in a variety of ways, and we can be leaders in other capacities. The point here, to put it negatively, is we cannot tell people what to do and then do something else. The, The phrase or the saying, do as I say, not as I do, is foreign to what Paul has in mind here. But we often hear this, don't we? Do as I say, not as I do. Uh, no, do as I say and do as I do. They, they must go together. Now, in our culture, um, it seems to me that about the time of Bill Clinton, the idea of character no longer mattered for leaders. In some ways, you can go before that and talk about things, yes. But if certain sins were to come to light, it often meant leaders had to step down. But when Clinton did all of his shenanigans with the the young ladies, basically we're told it doesn't matter. As long as he does a good job, that's what matters. And since then, we have seen that basic pattern in our culture. Now, maybe that's an oversimplification, but it does seem to me that that was an important turning point uh, in our culture in this way. And so you often hear people say, well, so-and-so is great at their job, or they're great 
a great athlete or, you know, whatever it happens to be. I can't stand them as a person, but they do a really good job at, you know, X, Y, Z. And so maybe they're an excellent broker or an excellent real estate agent or excellent secretary or whatever it is. Uh, You don't want to be with the person because they're just, you know, uh, hard to live with or hard to work with or something like that. But they do a really good job. And, And so it's this idea of character and conduct don't necessarily go together. If you can do the job well, it doesn't matter what kind of person you are. Um, Another example would be some people are great teachers at school, but when they come home, they are bad with their spouse and children. Or we have people that will go out in public and it's all smiles and glad handing and they're well-liked and so forth, but when they come home, they're depressed and surly, and self-centered. The point here is pretty straightforward. Again, putting it negatively, we cannot tell people what to do and then not practice what we preach. Now, obviously none of us are perfect. All of us are inconsistent in various ways. But living a double life is not what God wants. If we say the right things to our parents or our teachers or our friends or our spouse or whatever, and then we go off and when nobody's looking, we do something else, that's just being a hypocrite. And Paul says that we can't do that. If we're going to exhort people in one way and then live a different way, what good is it? And so this applies certainly in this context of leadership in the church, but it applies to us in all kinds of ways. So don't come to church and answer all the questions in Sunday school and then brood over pornography during the week. Don't stand and collect the offering and then shout at your children when you get home. Don't be helpful and thoughtful and caring at church but cut corners at work, lie to your clients, or laugh at coarse jokes. You can't come to a Bible study and condemn the ideas of gossip and then do that very thing on the phone a couple hours later. Okay, do, you, do you see the point? It, it's, it's pretty straightforward here. But don't just put it in our minds. Let's make sure we are living this way. I was uh, <clears throat> watching some of the World Baseball Classic here the last few days as it started and, and so forth. And uh, I believe it was yesterday, uh, there was a, a player that hit a home run. <clears throat> and, of course, they're whooping it up, running around, and all that sort of thing. Well, right before he crossed the plate, he crossed himself and looked up. And as soon as he crossed the plate, he started thumping his chest, you know, look at me, look at me. I'm like, well, wait a second. Are we looking to God or are we looking to you? Which one is it? We can give examples all over the place, right? Let's not say one thing and do another. Let's be a good example. Let's teach the truth. Let's live the truth. Our words and our actions must coincide. All right, now, as for some of the words here, notice um, uh, the New King James uses the term pattern. Um, Your translation may say example. Uh, the, the Greek word most naturally means a type, okay? give an impression. We could maybe translate it, model good behavior. 
Be a good example here. And notice how broad it is. Not just in some ways, but in good works. An example of good works. The only limitation to our works is that they are good, but it can apply to all kinds of things, right? Obviously, the, the context limits us to things in the church, but it certainly extends beyond that. And so the application here is quite endless. In all areas of life, we must present a good example. Okay. Now, as we go back to verse 6, and we have the main command there to exhort. Okay. Exhort the young men, Titus. Well, exhortation certainly means to teach, uh, maybe even to do it rather firmly, but it also can mean to come alongside, to encourage, to help. And again here, therefore, to be a good example. And so the entirety of the process of teaching is words and actions. And the entirety of our person must be a part of this. We're not just lecturing, we are living. We're not just passively sitting there learning either. We are to live in harmony with the truth. Our whole selves must be involved. And And, of course, this is totally different from our culture. It used to be 150 years ago, especially, that you'd go to school. It was a one-room schoolhouse. You'd read the McGuffey Reader and the Lives of the Signers and so on and so forth, and and all your subjects would fit together, right? Well, now you go to math class, and you go to history class, and you go to science class, and, and many times we're not taught how it all fits together. We have this segmented view of life in school. Also in our culture, and of course what is so prominent right now, is people present themselves with a certain persona on social media, but their real life is different. Sometimes people even establish some avatar that, you know, it's something they want to be or think they they are or something like that, but in real life they're very different. We've seen this, of course, in the last few years in terms of mask wearing. People will do it when they're on camera. As soon as the cameras are off, they take them off. But even in a figurative sense, all of us are prone when we are with people to put on a mask. Maybe not a literal one, okay? but a figurative mask. We put on a persona. We put on a, a kind of idea. This is who I am, and we present that to people. But it may be very different than who we are. And so it's really a lie. It, it, it's not being honest. Okay? We live in a culture that constantly lies to us. And we've been hearing that, especially in the last few weeks, haven't we? The January 6 tapes are now available, and we have been learning how much they lied to us about what happened, and I'm sure we're going to learn more as the days go on. We've also heard a lot about the COVID origins in the last few weeks. Now, if you've been paying attention with either of these things, you should have known this, even almost three years ago with COVID, okay, we knew that this is what didn't just happen, you know, it wasn't some meat market with a bat, I mean, this, this was too well engineered to just happen. Well, now we're finally um, admitting that in our culture, but they lied to us. 
Some people did it innocently, surely. There are others who didn't. I've been telling you for about two and a half years, Fauci is an evil man. Well, now that's being admitted. We could say the same thing with Twitter files or even the Russia collusion and all that sort of thing. We could go back in time and talk about Watergate. You know, there's just so many things about this that just don't make sense. They lie to us. This is the culture in which we live. And we see it in everyday activities, too. But Paul is telling Titus, you cannot do that. Remember, they're in Crete. And all Cretes are liars, right? But no, as Cretan Christians, you cannot do that. You must practice what you preach. We must be different. We must be consistent. We must be honest. We must be truthful. Let your yes be yes. Let your words and actions be the same. This is what God wants. This is what Paul wants for Titus and for the believers in Crete and for us here by extension. And so the best Teachers are those who teach well and live it. The best parents, the best leaders will do it like this. Of course, none of us are perfect. We all fall short, but that's no excuse. We should strive to be as God intends us to be. And when we do, other people will follow. Now, we know that Timothy was quite young. Paul mentions that many times. Titus, Paul doesn't say about Titus's age, but likely he was not much different in age than uh, Timothy. Maybe he was closer to 40 or something like that. Uh, maybe, excuse me, in his upper 30s, but whatever the case, and Paul doesn't say a whole lot in terms of Titus's age, but But the point is, Titus, be a good example so that those who are younger than you will imitate the things that you do. And so may the younger men emulate you and learn godliness. And so um, something that um, used to be very much a part of our culture was the idea of apprenticeship. And so the younger person would seek to emulate the older one, whether it was smithing, woodworking, or even with the ladies, you know, sewing and so forth. I mean, for, for much of our history in America, that's what we saw. We saw this, this emulation, this imitation from the master to the apprentice. Well, we still have some of that in our culture, but it's not quite the same. You go to college and now you're an expert or something like that, okay? <clears throat> But imitation is the key to godliness. Children are to imitate their parents. Young believers are to imitate older believers. And so let us imitate those who are more mature than us. And so when Paul says to the young men, be sober-minded, well, part of being sober-minded is imitating the right people. Now, not just the younger people here, but for all of us. Let's be sober-minded and think, well, who are we going to try to imitate? Okay. Don't imitate an unbeliever. Don't imitate a nominal believer. Don't imitate a moderately holy believer. Imitate those who are mature in their faith. This 
is sober thinking. This is right thinking. Okay. Now, <clears throat> I was at the uh, car shop with Anna's car here the other day, and uh, of course in the waiting room, the TV was on. Thankfully, it was just Anna and myself, so we, uh, we muted the TV. <laughs> uh, I didn't turn it off. I, I suppose I could have asked and so on, but I at least muted it. Well, it was on NBC, and there was some morning talk show with a couple ladies. I'd never heard of it before. And, uh, and in the midst of working on some things, I'd look up every now and again. But, you know, on these kind of things, they're telling you, imitate the leaders of that program and imitate the people they have on. Right? That, that's the whole message. Be like so-and-so. Right? And this is what commercials are based upon. You know, be like uh, this person, buy this product, and you'll get the pretty girl or, you know, whatever it is, right? Hey, imitate. That, that's what we see so often. And so be like, and, and of course in most of these programs, it's be like these liberals. Be like this LGBTQ person or be like, you know, whatever, someone who's, who's a, a, a hater of Trump or, you know, whatever. Be like those people. But we as Christians, as younger people, as Paul's emphasizing here, we must think soberly and imitate the right kind of people. Okay. Now, to turn it around and to focus here back on what Paul is saying, Titus, us, right, especially those of us who are older, be mature. Let's listen to what he said to the older men and to the older women. Let us be mature so that we do not lead the younger people astray. That's Paul's primary exhortation to Titus. If you turn back a few pages here to 1 Timothy, um, he said the same thing to Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, 1 Timothy 4 and verse 12. Verse 12, let no one despise your youth, but be an example, right? A pattern, a type to the believers in word and conduct and love and spirit and faith in purity. Same idea. And we can certainly look at other passages to say the same thing. All right, now, <clears throat> this part of verse 7 is emphasizing behavior. Now, the rest of verse 7 at least in part, and certainly into verse 8, emphasizes teaching. Now, the New King James says for the next part, <clears throat> in doctrine showing integrity. Okay, the word for doctrine could also be translated as teaching. Okay, either one is fine there. Um, the word for integrity actually is a word that has uh, an, a, a negation on the front of the word. And so the natural meaning is not, not something. Okay? And so not subject to corruption is probably a little closer to the idea here. <clears throat> okay? uh, don't do something, in this case, don't corrupt the teaching. Now, they say it more positively in doctrine or teaching, showing integrity. Again, that, that's fine, but the word itself is, is putting it negatively. And so you're to have sound doctrine, or to put it this way, have your doctrine be without error. 
May it be sincere and honest and pure, pure of motive. Do not do things for personal gain. Do not do things in error for selfish reasons. All right. So we're returning, you might say, to the end of chapter 1. In verse 9 with the elders and verses 10 to 16, some very similar ideas. We should hold to the truth of Scripture How can we be a good example if we have wrong theology? Our theology always results in consistent behavior. So if our behavior is bad, then our theology is bad. Or at least we're not living consistently with our theology. And so Paul is saying here, be a good example, and therefore may your your theology, your teaching, your doctrine uh, be without corruption as well. All right, now the next word here is reverence. Um, it, it sounds like Paul is giving a list of things and that this is not necessarily referring to teaching, but just being reverent in general. It, it applies to that, but more broadly. Uh, your translation may use the word dignity here. Uh, remember, it's the same word we saw back in verse 2 for the older men. And so Titus is to act like an older man here and showing uh, reverence. Uh, is the idea of being honorable or serious in your manner of living. Okay? It has the idea of showing gravity or having a high moral tone. These are some of the terms that the commentators gave here. In other words, don't be a jokester. Now, this doesn't mean you can't have fun. It doesn't mean you can't enjoy things. That, that's not the point. But we're not to be a jokester. Okay? How often do we hear... And I heard this just recently, that, well, so-and-so would be a great youth pastor or a great camp counselor because they're always having fun and kids will enjoy it and yada, yada, yada. And okay, there's a place for that, but there also needs to be some reverence, some seriousness about the leader. Now, on the other hand, we don't want to be stoic. We don't want to just poo-poo anything in terms of enjoyment. There's a balance in there. But note the point, and John Stott put it this way. People will not take serious subjects seriously unless we are serious about them. Joking and casual speech will not communicate the seriousness of the truths of God's word. Again, there's a place for enjoyment and fun and so forth. Don't misunderstand that. But... The point here is that we are to um, be serious in this way. And so we have a purity of of motive, a soundness of teaching, a seriousness of manner, and simply to be a good example. All these things are necessary for a good leader. Again, whether at church or at home or whatever. Now the last word here in verse 7 If you have the New King James, or probably the Old King James too, I forgot to double check this, but it probably did, as the word incorruptibility. Now, your translation, if you have another one, may not have this word, probably doesn't actually. And in mine, there's a footnote that says, this word is not found in most manuscripts, is basically what my footnote is saying. Um, And uh, the word for incorruptibility means immortal here not subject to decay well that doesn't apply to titus 
Now, maybe we could say that applies to truth. Maybe we can say that applies to the idea of being a good example. Okay. I think what's more likely is that there was a textual error at some point. Somebody copied the wrong word. And that's because the word for not subject to corruption there, again, the New King James puts it as integrity. That word and this word, incorruptibility, are very similar in the Greek. Uh, the first one is aftharion. This word here we're looking at is aftharsion. Very similar. And so it's likely that somebody miscopied it at some point along the way. Um, so anyway, I'm not going to say any more about it. Um, I'm inclined to say that uh, let's just move on. <laughs> um, and so on. So let's look then at verse 8. Sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. All right, now the Greek literally says a sound beyond reproach word. There are two adjectives here for word, and the first one is sound. Uh, this is a word we've talked about uh, here in the letter. It means to be healthy, okay? To be sound uh, it means to be consistent with Paul's words, to be consistent with apostolic teaching, to be consistent ultimately with God's word. That's to be sound, to be healthy. Um, the, the other adjective here is beyond reproach. In other words, your words cannot be condemned. If they're sound, then they're not going to be condemned, right? If they're not sound, they will be condemned. You see how they fit together. And so we must be faithful to the truth, and it must be above criticism. And so obviously, Paul is now going back in doctrine showing integrity. That part he now expands on here uh, in verse 8. Now, um, <clears throat> the Greek word is word. The New, New King James translates it as speech. Um, and certainly this can apply to everyday speech. Our speech should be sound, just Period, right? We should tell the truth and so forth. But it does seem to be emphasizing the proclamation of God's word here in this uh, particular verse. And so good leaders then, verse 7, are going to live well. And now here, part of verse 7 and verse 8, they must teach well. And so this is not about rhetorical savvy. It's about the purity of the truth. And so to be a good example to others means that we are going to teach truth accurately when we do it blesses the church it honors god it is a good witness and the rest of the verse it shames those who oppose the truth and those who oppose the truth certainly are outside the church but you also have those who are inside of the church and when you proclaim the truth and you have a good life, you're living a good example and all that, right? It forces our opponents not to be able to speak evilly about us. It forces them to admit that what we are saying and doing is good and right. They may do it through gritted teeth. They may refuse to say it even. But in the end, it encourages them to keep their mouth shut and to stop accusing Stop opposing. Okay. And don't we see this? Right? When the truth comes out, when the truth is upheld, it silences the opponents. Right? 
if I can go back to these things with COVID and, and uh, January 6th, haven't we seen this in the last few weeks? Okay, the more that's come out about COVID and its origins, the more people say we shouldn't listen to Fauci. Okay, there have been some of us have been saying that for a long time. Well, now, okay, others are finally seeing this. Okay, do you see how this works? If we are sound in our teaching, if we are sound in our theology, if we are sound in our living, it encourages other people to ignore false teachers. Again, certainly that applies in the church, but uh, even beyond that. Now, certainly I think Paul would agree that unbelievers are going to speak against the truth, blaspheme God, blaspheme his word, blaspheme his people at any opportunity that they get. Think of the words of Jesus, right? If they hate me, they'll hate you. Okay, that that makes sense. Um, And they're going to look for anything to attack And so don't give them any reason to do that. They may do it anyway, but don't give them a reason to do it. Don't give them justification. Don't give them an easy way to condemn the truth. Teach the truth soundly. Live it. And so whether we're at church, whether we're at home, whether we're uh, just hanging out with our friends, whatever it is, Live a godly life at all times and in all places with your words and your everyday living. Now, certainly, some of the things that I've just said in verses 7 and 8 apply to younger men. So, as I said last week and again here at the beginning, verse 6, one attribute, well, we can see some things here. Okay, And so, yes, it applies there. That said... Paul's words are specific to Titus and thus specific uh, to leaders in particular. And so all believers should strive to this end. All right, so a few thoughts here tonight about these words. And uh, we will uh, turn to uh, a topic that got a coach fired here in the last few weeks, if you've been paying attention. And that's the topic of slavery. So uh, we'll look at that, Lord willing, next week. Let's pray together. Lord, we uh, thank you again for your word. We thank you for your um, uh, preservation of it here for us. We thank you for these words of Paul to Titus and by extension to us. Lord, we ask that you would, uh, by your spirit, enable us to fulfill these words. Uh, We are so prone to hypocrisy. We are so prone to... um, being inconsistent with our words and our living. And um, sometimes we wonder how in the world you can uh, advance your kingdom at all through such terrible people as us. But you do, and certainly we, we ask that by your spirit you would strengthen us to be consistent, to not be hypocrites, but to, to present good examples to those around us, especially those of us who are older, to provide an example for those who are younger, for those who are younger. For the, the, we pray, Lord, that you would help them to, to imitate those who are worthy of imitation and ignore the, uh, the, the people and things of our culture. Uh, Lord, we pray for your mercies in this way. We pray um, for uh, the next generation 
that they would uh, continue on the, the soundness of truth and the goodness of living. And uh, we pray for the, uh, those of us who are on the, as it were, downhill side of our lives, so to speak, as we are heading to the end of life, we, help us, Lord, to, to be good examples in word and in behavior. And so, Lord, we, we ask for your mercies in this way and that you would use us in all of our imperfections as it were to draw straight lines with crooked sticks and uh, that you would um, uh, be merciful in all these things. For your honor and glory, we pray then in Jesus' name. Amen.